When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we've got a special two-part year-end review for you. We haven't done a year-end review before, so thought it might be fun to do so. Welcome to Compliance into the Weeds. This is part one of a special two-part year-end review. We're posting this part one on Tuesday, December 28th. In part one, Matt takes up SPACs and hybrid work environment, and I discuss Robinhood and GameStop. We have a lot of fun with this episode. We're going to be posting part two on Thursday, December 30. So I hope you will join us again for part two on on Thursday of this week. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the voice of compliance. And once again, back with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance. And we've got a special two-part year-end review for you. We haven't done a year-end review before, so thought it might be fun to do so. We've each picked uh, three of our favorite topics, or at least ones we want to explore with you for this episode. And we're going to take them a little bit into the weeds. So uh, first of all, Matt, welcome back. Uh, hello, Tom. It is good to be back here. A nice low-key holiday week for us. So, Matt, uh, I was going to ask you to, to start off. So you want to maybe just tell us uh, the, the three that you're going to preview or at least discuss and then uh, start off with number one. So uh, I think that three of the big things that uh, compliance officers had to deal with in 2021, and you'll probably have to still deal with the repercussions or consequences of them in 2022, Uh, They would be SPACs, special purpose acquisition companies. That'd be number one. Number two is the hybrid work environment, uh, as opposed to 2020, when we really had more of the emergency remote work environment. 2021, it became much more of a permanent thing. Uh, But how would we deal with the hybrid work environment? And then number three, I thought, was the rise of ransomware and several different regulatory agencies and powers that be that have responded with new cybersecurity demands and compliance obligations. So SPACs, hybrid work, ransomware, those are my big three. Uh, I'll dive right into talking about SPACs. Uh, Tom, I think that the big thing with SPACs in 2021 was really just the sheer number of these things, first and foremost. Uh, according to various bits of research I have seen from uh, one of my venture partners, uh, calcbench.com, the financial data research people, uh, they're tracking about 440 more SPACs listed on U.S. markets in 2021. There are roughly 440 more today than there were in 2020. Uh, and that has single-handedly reduced or reversed the long-term decline in the number of publicly listed firms in the United States. And that had been in a decline since the late 1990s, clear through 2020, and then suddenly it popped back up 
and started moving in a positive direction in 2021, all because of SPACs. They're growing like weeds all over the capital markets, and the U.S. stock exchanges are no exception to that. They raised at least $125 billion, probably much more than that, because they raised $125 billion at the end of third quarter 2021. So we still had all of the fourth quarter, which technically isn't even done yet. Um, So, I mean, it's just a lot of activity, a lot of money, and therefore, perhaps to no surprise, we also saw a lot of guidance and statements from the Securities and Exchange Commission warning SPACs in particular, you have investor protection duties that you need to be thinking about, you have disclosures that you need to make, and then also telling investors, be careful with these SPAC things. And just for the record, for anybody who is not yet familiar with SPACs, they are blank check companies. They raise money in an IPO first, and then they have no actual operations. They go, and within 18 to 24 months, that is their deadline, and that's important, they have to go and acquire a private operating company and de-SPAC, and the two firms merge and fuse into this newly publicly traded company now once they acquire the private firm and they merge into it. So, um, you know, the SEC chairman, Gary Gensler, he said that uh, he has said just recently that SPACs are functionally the same as IPOs and traditional IPOs with the roadshow and the investment bankers and the audit firms and the lawyers, and they're crawling all over your your pre-IPO company's internal controls and all of that, and then finally you go public. SPACs, it's more like they swoop in three months, four months later, bang, you're public. And Gary Gensler has said, no, 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 no. That's an IPO. That is an IPO in form, if not, or in function, if not form, and therefore you SPAC people, you have to be thinking about disclosure controls. You have to be forthright with investors about your conflicts that you might have in the merger targets you're picking and all of this stuff. Um, and we have seen two SPAC enforcement actions, the first two ever. We saw the first two in 2021. Both of them were all about how the SPAC failed to disclose various problems with the merger company to investors. Um And, you know, these are significant things that these companies forgot to disclose. Like, you know, we are a satellite technology company. This one happened back in June. Uh, Momentous, uh, it was. We're a satellite tech company, and we're great for getting to disclose the tech didn't actually work. And their CEO was a foreign national who had to leave the United States because he was deemed a national security interest. And none of that came out to investors. Uh, there was another one was uh, Nicola Investments or Nicola Corporation just the other week. They're an alternative fuel vehicle maker, except they never actually made any vehicles. And their CEO was fabricating statements that the trucks are looking great and they're moving on their own and fabricating videos. The trucks were actually moving downhill just because of the power of gravity, you know, like preposterous, preposterous stuff coming from these SPAC-powered firms. And those two are just a foretaste of what's going to come. Uh, And Tom, my last point would be, I told everybody a minute or two ago, the 18 to 24 months is important because if you don't close a deal within that window, you have to give money back to the investors and you, the SPAC manager, you lose your shirt and everything you've put into this. So the closer you get to the deadline, 
the more the funny business happens and a whole lot of corners get cut. Well, if SPACs were going public like weeds at the beginning of 2021, 18 months is mid-2022. So I think we're going to see a lot more pressure for a lot more mergers of SPACs in the first half of 2022. The SEC has already said it's looking at new rules for better disclosure, and I'm hoping the SEC will put an end to this monkey business that too many SPACs are engaging in once and for all. But Tom, that was my first big thing for 2021 was just SPACs and the way they have swamped the capital markets and investor protection issues. And uh, I don't think we've heard the last of that. Matt, as you know, we had uh, the Nicola SEC enforcement action uh, towards uh, the end of 2021, in fact, in December of 2021. And one of the kind of takeaways I took from uh, the big picture of that enforcement action was, as you detailed, there were uh, many actions by the former president and chairman of the board of that company, but he had started engaging in um, uh, publicizing the stock through tweets or other social media long before it became public. And one of the questions I had from that enforcement action is, do you see the SEC using uh, that enforcement action or, or other examples, um, and even if you want to throw in Elon Musk and $420 uh, into the discussion about uh, CEOs from private companies utilizing a publicization uh, or publicity campaign to drive up the price, then uh, through a de-SPAC process, they go public uh, and they continue to do so. But I was intrigued by your thoughts on perhaps what about before they go public? Is there any way the SEC is going to look back and say, you know, this is just like an IPO and we're going to put a quiet period on you and we're going to do some other things that uh, may slow down this runaway freight train of SPACs? Well, two points there. First, we should remember that technically the SEC can bring an enforcement action against a private company that has a certain crosses a certain threshold of private shareholders. Yeah, I think it's either 500 or 2,000 shareholders these days. You have to be fairly significant, but if you are a private company and you're giving out, say, a lot of stock options or equity to employees and partners and you have achieve a critical mass, even though technically you are not publicly traded, you have enough investors in there that investor protection rules, click, you know, they go into effect. And yeah, the SEC could pressure or enforce against a private company under that circumstance. It's not common, but it's possible. I don't know that that is what was happening here with Nicola, but what did happen with Nicola or Nicola um, was that the CEO, he endured beyond the DSPAC transaction. So he was the CEO before it was public, and he was the CEO after it became public. And yes, many of the statements that he was making happened before the IPO, but a lot of those statements were put out on social media and like they were still there after the IPO. The, the fake video of the truck rolling downhill where they neglected to say this is just a truck rolling downhill and I guess in neutral or something, and they made it seem like this is a truck zipping down the highway with our hydrogen engine. That was not the case at all. Like that video was on Nikola's corporate website well past the IPO. And any investor who came and looked at Nikola, the DSPAC company, might have seen that and been misled. I think it's more a statement about how you should govern your statements on social media, period. 
um, rather than, you know, are they going to use this to get their nose under the tent to go and regulate more private companies? I mean, the SEC already has some ways to do that if you're a sufficiently large private company. Um, I just think that it's more about, you know, dumb, dumb CEOs who are saying preposterous things. Sure, that might happen with some flim-flam fly-by-night operation, but if it happens when you're a public company, that's a big deal. And SPACs are the the vehicle to go from that dumb-dumb private fly-by-night thing to a dumb-dumb publicly traded company. And you have no idea about what you're getting into when you go public as a SPAC. That's what some people would say, including me. Uh, so I think that's like that's the real issue that Gensler and other good governance people are trying to rein in here, that there's way too much opportunity for SPACs to abuse what they're doing. And uh, then, like I said, that's when the monkey business starts. And I, I think the SEC is looking to put an end to it. We'll be right back with more on our year-end review, part one of Compliance Into the Weeds, after this message from our sponsor. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Well, Matt, my uh, my three topics I want to uh, take up are one is uh, retrospective, one uh, is a little prospective, and then the third one is both retrospective and prospective. And they are uh, Robinhood and GameStop, uh, the Biden administration strategy on countering corruption, together with the Lisa Monaco speech from October 2021, and then ESG. And I'll I'll start with Robinhood and GameStop, and that intrigued both of us on a variety of levels. Robinhood is an online trading platform, and traders began driving up the price of GameStop, um, which is a uh, store where you can actually pick up cartridges, game cartridges. And it's, uh, I don't want to say low-tech, but in the burgeoning world of gaming, it is about as low-tech as they come. And I don't want to compare it to uh, <clears throat> Blockbuster, but... I'm going to compare it to Blockbuster. Nevertheless, in September of 2019, uh, game uh, Robinhood users, uh, particularly those who uh, were on Reddit, started talking up the stock. And what they noticed was some large short sellers had taken positions, short positions in GameStop, anticipating that the stock would go down. And I don't know, it's, it's not completely clear if... These Reddit uh, Robinhood Reddit users and Robinhood users 
uh, saw value in GameStop or they just wanted to stick it to the man, but they started driving up the price of GameStop. And by January of 2021, they had driven it up some $15 billion. Uh, This caused some of the shorts to um, lose pretty much all of their positions, of course, and also caused some very large capital requirements of them. Trading became so intense by the last week of January of 2021 that the Depository Trust and Clearing Corporation, or the DTCC, made Robinhood put up an additional $3 billion of collateral uh, to clear trades. Uh, That shut trading down for one day. The Robinhood users screamed bloody murder. But the next day they were back up, and after a slight drop in the price of GameStop, it continued to go back up. Uh, This was all just a fascinating financial engineering, um, market mentality, uh, uh, hallucinations, and many other things that we both uh, thought were uh, interesting. But I thought there were some pretty important lessons for the compliance professional in all of this. The first was that one of the most prescient comments I heard during uh, the COVID year of 2019 came from Jed Gardner, who said that disaster recovery moved to business continuity, moved to business as usual. And that's the state we're in now. It is business as usual, no matter what the event is. And in January of 2021, we had uh, two events that many people thought were black swan events, but um, a lot of people, uh, they didn't see them coming. They probably should have. The first was the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol. And the second one was uh, the GameStop phenomenon. And as Jed said, how are you going to move quickly to control the events if this happens to your company? Matt, you've said for at least a couple of years and maybe longer that social media uh, does not create a message. Social media amplifies a message. And what we saw with the GameStop phenomena was a message to either there's great value here, buy, buy, buy. Uh, you can stick it to the man, buy, buy, buy. Or these really cool people on Reddit are taking positions in GameStop, so you should buy, buy, buy. And this is not a pump and dump. This was, um, the you know, the shorts take a position uh, against a company, and uh, these are many uh, legitimate traders who do this. This was just a bunch of people jumping on a bandwagon in a way that drove a, a price of stock literally through the roof. And for the compliance professional, it really drove home to me the message of how are you going to respond if, some of your employees point out that, hey, there's uh, in our supply chain, we're using Chinese labor from the Uyghur region, uh, or there's human trafficking from some of our vendors, or uh, there's a building collapse in Bangladesh, and it turns out some of our apparel wear is at the bottom of this building. And if the social media um, picks this up and it becomes a real thing, whether it's on Reddit or Twitter or some other social media panel, this could drive down the value of your stock in an almost immediate way. So I really thought it had a lot of important lessons from the compliance practitioner. Uh, Robinhood itself had its own compliance journey and SEC (coughs) adventures, Uh, but it really struck me that things have really changed. And I wanted to end with a 
a quote, <coughs> excuse me, on this. It came from Greg Greenberg, and uh, he said, quote, the battle over GameStop has very little, if anything, to do with GameStop. It has to do with supply, demand, and a bunch of hedge funds that were far too confident in their thinking. It was nice to see the so-called Main Street investors rise up and stick it to the so-called masters of the universe. The result will be a far more efficient market and the prevention of collapses like we saw during the mortgage crisis and the long-term capital crisis where Uncle Sam bailed out the financial elites. Hats off to all those folks in their parents' basements sticking it to all those folks in their Greenwich and Hampton mansions. Now, if we changed um, the uh, Greenwich and Hampton mansions to some corporate name, uh, I think you can see the, the potential that there may be something in your supply chain. There may be something on your uh, sales side. There may be something your company does that you as a compliance officer aren't aware of, uh, but it hits social media, then it's amplified, whether through Reddit or Twitter or Facebook or LinkedIn, and it really becomes out of control, and that's just now business as usual. So business as usual was the message for me around Robinhood and GameStop. Tom, I, I have to admit, I, I see GameStop very differently. I, I have big problems, not necessarily with GameStop, but more Robinhood and what it's trying to do. Um, for those who want to get into the nerdy part of what Robinhood is doing, it allows for free trading for the uh, retail investor, and it is payment for order flow. They take this flow of orders from their customers, and then they charge some other investment bank, the investment bank pays for that order flow. They get to process the trades. And I, I don't get exactly how people make money off payment for order flow. But my point being, the retail investor doesn't actually have any skin in the game here other than I just want to, you know, trade my, my stock. Um, it doesn't cost them anything to make those trades. So to a certain extent, what we saw with GameStop was activity divorced from the economic fundamentals of GameStop. Um, and another one was uh, AMC, the movie chain, which also, like, come on, folks, the movie chain business is you know, on its back. It's been wiped out by the pandemic. It was on its way down to hit the ground hard long before the pandemic, and that just shoved it down. Um, once you see the trading sort of dissociate from the economic fundamentals, I, very little that's good comes from that. And I know that the SEC is also looking at gamification of trading and what should they do about payment for order flow and would you regulate it? And if people engaged in all of this kibitzing about stocks behind closed doors, that would be insider trading, Except here, it's all on the outside, and it's not like you have any material, non-public information about GameStop. You had, you had no information about GameStop. Half the people who traded in GameStop had no idea what it did other than they sold video games, but they couldn't tell you who the CEO was or how much money it made or what its operating profit margin was or anything like that. Um, so it's not insider trading. It's just stuff that's happening out in the open, but it is so ill-informed because it's not like you have to pay nine ninety-five or nineteen ninety-five to actually make the trade because you're so confident in the stock. All of that goes out the window. I, it's more, it's injecting volatility into corporate life when we have enough of that already. So 
As people might guess, I'm cranky about Robin Hood and what it has unleashed upon the capital markets. I don't know what it's going to hold for 2022, but I, I, the royal we at Radical Compliance frowns on payment for order flow and what has gone on with GameStop, AMC, and uh, other stocks like that. I don't know. That's just me. So what's up next on your list, Matt? Uh, next on my list was hybrid work environments. And like I said, uh, you know, in 2020, when the pandemic struck, everybody moved to remote work environment very quickly. Uh, it in- introduced a lot of new cybersecurity risks because we're all suddenly working from home and maybe on networks and devices that the IT department didn't understand. And regulators were actually pretty, I thought, tolerant and forgiving of that in 2020 given the exigent circumstances that nobody had any idea in January of 2020 that we would be doing that by March 15 of 2020, 10 weeks later. Okay, so 2020, we get through it. 2021, it became quite clear that hybrid work, you know, maybe you're going to be remote for a while, maybe you'll be in the office a couple of days a week, or maybe some people will be in the office three or four days, but others only one day, and the rest of the time we're working Lord knows where. Like, that's permanent. There is no returning to the office, everybody full-time, five days a week. That's not going to happen. Not in 2022, not ever. And it wasn't happening in 2021. And even the closest we ever got, maybe in June, people are kind of sort of thinking, maybe we could all be back in the office by Labor Day. Then came the Delta variant. Now we have the Omicron variant. I don't know my ancient Greek enough. I don't know which one comes next, but there's going to be more. So now if we are permanently working with this hybrid variable hanging over your head, at any time you might wind up having to work not in the office, well, what are all of the privacy implications for that? What are all the cybersecurity implications for that? And how does a compliance program try and address those things? You very suddenly, from a technical standpoint, You stop worrying about where the computer is because it should be in the office and you should put them on a VPN or all of that. You have to start worrying about, well, what is the data and how is the data being handled regardless of where it is or what network it's on because you don't know the network and you don't know what else might be adjacent to the data. You know, you're working from your computer, your work laptop at home. But meanwhile, somebody installed a private personal app on the company laptop, or maybe vice versa, they have a work app on their private laptop, and all of these challenges that are really difficult, but they have big implications for privacy compliance, cybersecurity compliance. Uh, They have big implications for the financial audit that your firm might have to do and the internal control over financial reporting. So that's one element of hybrid work challenge. But then we also have a much more human workplace uh, hybrid work challenge of how do you build a coherent corporate culture when it's going to be so fractured or borderless all the time? Even if you say, we're going to let anybody work from wherever they want all the time, that might seem thoughtful. But in practice, if the people who wind up not working in the office the most are more mothers of young children because the school's still a mess and so they're working from home more how do you assure that you're not you know really stigmatizing younger female employees 
who can't participate in whatever office chit-chat goes on for older employees or younger employees with no children or male employees because the men are supposed to be the breadwinners. That's the stereotype. And how do you overcome all of that? A lot of inclusion challenges that suddenly become very difficult with the hybrid work environment. I don't have good answers for that, by the way. I see it all the time because um, we have young children at my house, but my wife is uh, an essential worker in the school system, so she goes to work every day as much as she can. But, you know, if how do you handle these kind of hybrid challenges that might come along? And uh, I think that's got real implications for building and maintaining a cohesive corporate culture. If anybody listening has a good answer for how to do that, by all means, call in and we'll get you on the air. Because I don't think any company has really solved that yet. But 2021 really drew a line under the point that this is a permanent thing, the hybrid environment. And all of the compliance and all of the corporate culture challenges thereof, they're here to stay until we solve them. And we have not solved them by any stretch, I don't think. Well, you brought up some some great points I wanted to follow up on. Uh, first of all, I want to try to alleviate your concern on the Greek alphabet because we have pi, rho, sigma, ta, upsilon, psi, chi, psi, and omega to go. So we have a few more to go through before we get to the double-doubles on the Greek alphabet and the variants. All right. But you said two things that really intrigued me. <clears throat> One was you spoke about culture, and I'm going to talk about that uh, when uh, – I speak about the Lisa Monaco speech, but it's becoming clear that culture is, uh, if not the most important, one of the two or three most important things in any organization. And the hybrid work environment that we now all live in speaks uh, to how, I don't want to say culture changes, but you have to have a culture that allows and is flexible enough to deal with new situations such as the hybrid work environment. It also brings up for me, uh, which you also talked about, which is the risk. Uh, You detail the risks um, as we originally worked from home, but I think the hybrid work environment brings up another set of risks. And in June of 2020, the Department of Justice told us that you need to assess your risks as your risks change. And you detail the change as we move to the work from home environment and you detail the changes as we move to the hybrid work environment. So for me, one of the biggest lessons or the two biggest lessons from for the compliance professional, other than perhaps uh, having to reread my Greek alphabet uh, for the first time in a long time, was that uh, culture is omnipresent or omnipotent within an organization. And you have to have a culture that allows it to answer some of the questions you posed, or at least look at those questions and come to some sort of uh, fair and equitable (coughs) remedy or (coughs) um, solution. And two, when your risks changed, you have to assess those. You may assess them from the individual employee perspective. You may assess them from your IT security uh, perspective, or you may assess them from your compliance perspective, but your risks have changed in the hybrid work environment. It is not simply work from home. You're going to be uh, traveling. You may work actually uh, as radical compliance once did from several locations uh, in a hybrid environment. And Mm -hmm. all of those uh, present some type of risk that uh, need to be assessed. So I thought this was, in addition to the detail you gave of what the compliance professional needs to look at in terms of culture and how you keep 
a unified workforce when you have young mothers, young fathers, uh, people over 60, uh, and everyone in between. Uh, but also, how do you manage uh, all of those risks? I, like I said, I, I don't know. And I do think that you can, at least with IT security, you can get a handle on it. It's not going to be easy, but it is a methodical thing. I do worry much more about what I described there as the human risks. Um, you know, if you have a hybrid environment that might seem very tolerant of everybody's personal choices, but greater social pressures mean that certain populations self-select to work remotely, like, you know, mothers of young children. So what are you going to do then? If you have uh, meetings at the office, will office people need to sit at their desks and dial in virtually via Zoom, which I know some organizations do. But then if that's what we're doing, like, what's, why are we in the office in the first place then? I mean, that would be a very valid question. And I, I am thankful that I am not the CEO who has to figure out what is the good answer on that, what is the policy on that. I think a lot of us have a fairly good intuitive sense of where those culture risks are going to manifest, but then managing them and coming up with good equitable solutions, I, I, I see it as very challenging, and I don't know that we've got too many good answers yet. I don't know when the good answers are going to come along. Matt, unfortunately, we are near the end of part one of our year in review. I hope our listeners will join us for uh, part two in our next podcast. I look forward to continuing this conversation. Thank you, Tom. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you for listening to part one of our special year in review here on Compliance into the Weeds. I hope you'll join Matt and I again on Thursday, December 30, when we post our second part two episode of our year in review. It's been a lot of fun for us, and I know you will enjoy part two as much as you enjoyed part one. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.